0: The epistle for this feast of Pentecost is taken from the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. When the days of Pentecost were accomplished, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty wind coming, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them parted tongues, as it were of fire, and it sat upon every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with diverse tongues, according as the Holy Ghost gave them to speak. Now there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded in mind, because that every man heard them speak in his own tongue. And they were all amazed and wondered, saying, Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? And how have we heard every man our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews also, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. We have heard them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of St. John. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our abode with him. He that loves me not does not keep my words, and the word which you have heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you, abiding with you. But the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your mind whatsoever I shall have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. You have heard that I said to you, I go away, and I come unto you. If you love me, you would indeed be glad, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. And now I have told you before it came to pass that when it shall come to pass, you may believe. I will not now speak many things with you, for the Prince of this world comes, and in me he has not anything. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father has given me commandment, so do I. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, some sermons are full of exhortation, while other sermons are full of instruction. The sermons that are full of exhortation are directed towards your heart, to move your heart to do certain things. Whereas the sermons that are full of instruction are more directed to your mind, to instruct you about some aspect of the faith, help you understand, they're more directed to help you understand something than to get you to do something. And well this sermon is definitely going to be one of those instruction sermons, a catechetical sermon. On this birthday of the Catholic Church, I want to teach you something about the church. But Father, you may say, Well, all of your sermons are like that, really. <laughs> I mean, if we think about it. Okay, well, that's pretty much true. But this sermon is going to be even more like that than than normal. The instruction of this sermon comes in the form of a story, and that story starts with God before anything in the universe was created. There was a time when nothing existed but God the Holy Trinity. And when we consider God in this way before anything else came to be, we want to ask ourselves this question. What were the rights of God And what were the duties of God? God existing alone in reality. What are his rights and what are his duties? Well, as far as his rights go, God has all rights. He has supreme rights. Life, liberty, happiness, whatever rights you can think about. What about God's duties? What was God obliged to do if we think about God there in eternity? existing alone. What are his duties? What is he obliged to do? Can we say, well, God, there's certain things you have to do. Is God obliged to create angels? No. Is God obliged to create a universe? No. Is God obliged to create human beings? No, I mean, there's not really any duty that we can find where we can say, God has to do this. In justice, if God does not do this, He is not behaving as He ought. And so, this is what we have to understand, first of all, about God. God is the supreme possessor of rights, and He doesn't have duties as a result. Um, We can say that he is the supreme possessor of privileges when we say he's the supreme possessor of rights, because rights are effectively privileges. When you have a right, there's a privilege that you possess. So, God has all rights supreme possessor of privileges, the ultimate source of any privilege whatsoever. And meanwhile, he does not have duties. There's nothing that he's obligated to do for the simple reason that there is no one to obligate him. There's no one there that can oblige him, say to him, you have to do this. Duties and obligations are imposed from above, but there is no one above God. And so God has all rights. And no duties. That's simply what it means to be a supreme being. In God, rights come before duties. He first of all has rights, and if there are any duties, it would only be because He would create duties. He would make duties. In in God Himself, duty does not exist, but because He is the supreme possessor of rights, He can create duties outside of Himself. Okay. That's a difficult concept. It's always difficult when we think about God. There's no way around it. To think about God in Himself because He is a transcendent being, it's always going to be a difficult mental effort, but a very fruitful effort. Whatever we can understand of God, even if it be very little, will always be much more fruitful than any other knowledge that we have. So having understood that that God has all rights and no duties. Let us come to the second part of our story, and that is where God, the supreme possessor of rights, he's the only thing existing, he has no duty to create anything, there's no obligation in justice for him to make anything outside of himself, but he decides to do so. And if he does create, as I say, it's it's not going to be a question of justice, it's going to be a question of love. You do things out of justice when you're obliged to do them. You do things out of love when you're not obliged to do them, but you want to communicate your goodness. So God creates simply because He's good, and He wants to communicate that goodness. He's not fulfilling any mandate that's been placed upon Him. He loves things into existence. That's the only possibility. He's not forced to create. He's not bound to create. He does it by free choice out of the boundless love of His infinite existence. And once God creates, well, new beings come into existence. And now it's not just God that exists. There are also angels and human beings, and there's plants and animals and many other things. But those creatures are in a very different position with respect to God with regards to their rights and duties. By definition, they're not God. God has no one above him and so is not beholden to anyone, but creatures have God above them because he brought them into existence. And so whatever God creates has to be beholden to God just by the fact that it's created by God. No one can be in a position of a receiver without having duties to the giver. And it's impossible to be a greater receiver than one who receives the act of existence. There's no there's not possibly anything you could receive more than being brought into existence. I mean, you think of all the things you receive in your life. You think, well, okay, what are those compared to actually being able to exist? Well, they're pretty minimal compared to being able to exist because... Unless you exist, you really can't receive anything at all. So God gives us existence, and that's the greatest thing we receive, and we have duties to God as a result. And what that means for us is that while for God, rights become before duties, for us, duties come before rights. We first of all have duties because of the fact, the very inception of our existence, we have our existence received. We are creatures. We do not start off as right-bearing, eternally existing entities. We rather start off as nothing then an all-loving creator brings us into existence. And therefore, from the first moment of our existence, we have these duties to our creator. Because we've received our existence from him, we have a duty to use that existence in the way that he's made us in the way that He's planned. Since we're not at the origin of our existence, we have to act in accordance with the existence that we've been given. We have to live up to what God has created us to be and to do. What has He created us to do? I mean, We, we, we all know the answer to this question from the first pages of our Catechism. This is one of the first things that we learn, that we're, we're created to know, love, serve God in this life so as to be happy, with Him in heaven. That's our duty. That's the very nature of our existence, the way God has designed us. He's made us for perfect happiness. Okay, well, what about our rights? What about our human rights? These rights that we're always loving to speak about today, people are absolutely obsessed with human rights. They don't speak about duties anymore. They only speak about rights as if humans are God, as if humans are possessors of rights independently of duties, even as if Humans can create rights, make up rights, define rights, which, of course, only God can do. We don't have any power to invent rights by a sheer act of our will. That's just not the way it works. God alone is the supreme possessor of rights. He creates us in a certain way with a certain goal, and as a result, we have duties. We have the obligation to live according to what what he's established us, the, the 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 laws of our very existence. We're obliged to live up to what God has made us, and then our rights flow from those duties. We have a right to do what we're obliged to do by the nature of our existence. God establishes the fact of existence. He makes us in a certain way as human beings. We have a duty to live up to that, and as a result, we have a right to live in that way. We have a right to do whatever our duties are, our duties as human beings. So that's the sum total of human rights. That's the beginning and the end of human rights. We have a right to do what God has made us to do, a natural right. We have a right to do the good. We have a right to avoid the evil. We have a right to breathe because we're made to breathe. We have a right to eat because we're made to eat. We have a right to speak because we're made to speak. We have a right to do what God made us to do. As long as those things are directed to the purpose for which God has created us, we have a right to do everything that corresponds to moving towards our God-given goal of heaven. But Father, you're saying to yourself, okay, this is interesting and all that, or maybe you're saying this is, this is really way too academic. Whatever you're saying, you, you, you might be thinking to yourself, Father, I think you've got your Sundays confused. This is not a Sunday for, for Pentecost. I mean, maybe, maybe Trinity Sunday, but definitely not Pentecost. What are you thinking about? Okay, just hang in there. Stay with me, all right? We're going somewhere. The reason is, I want today, really what I want to speak to you about are the rights of Holy Mother Church. And I had to speak to you about rights in general before I can talk to you about the rights of the Catholic Church. So as I've said, God is the ultimate bearer of rights or privileges. Creatures only have rights or privileges insofar as they relate. To what God has established. That's why we only have a right to do what is good. That's why error has no rights. But now I want to ask what does this mean when it comes to religion? What are the rights of man when it comes to the practice of religion? Well, this is where the payload comes in, and hopefully I can apply the principles that I've established in this sermon. The same principle holds true. We only have rights in relation to the duties that we've been given. And our duties, flow from what God has established, from what He's a created. He's the ultimate source of reality. What has God established in the realm of a religion? Well, out of the superabundance of his goodness, he decided to assume a human nature. He became incarnate as a man. He chose not to marry any human woman, but he chose to wed himself to the Catholic Church. He to- chose to make the Catholic Church his bride. And what this means is the one God who has existed from all eternity, came on this earth. Yes, the God who is in control of all reality. He came on this earth. He established the Catholic religion as the one true religion in which all are to be saved. And once God does this, it becomes a duty for those who hear about and are instructed in the Catholic religion to enter the church. And because the Catholic Church is the one bride of Christ... The church alone, among all religions, has rights. No other religions have rights. Just like no human being has the right to create a different human nature, or a different way of being human. So too, no person has the right to create a different way of doing religion and say that they have a right to act in that way, to, to do religion in that way. And if we, if we deny this, if we, if we say that, that it's not just the Catholic faith that has a right to exist, that other faiths have, also have a right to exist. The Buddhist religion has a right to exist. The Baptist religion has a right to exist. Any human, merely human created religion has a right to exist. If we, if we deny that, if we, if we say that these other religions have a right to exist, we end up denying that God is the ultimate bearer of rights. In fact, humans are bearers of rights, supreme possessors of rights. And this is what happens today when people invent rights for religious worship. They claim that anyone can worship God in whatever way that they please. Or worse, that we have a right to invent the religion we choose. We have a right to worship whatever we want to worship in that religion. We have a right to worship in whatever way we please to worship. But no, there's no objective right for a Buddhist to be a Buddhist or a Baptist to be a Baptist. God has not established their religions, God has not condoned their religions, and all rights come from God. No human can manufacture rights to worship. So, as I say, to deny this is effective to deny that the Catholic Church is the true Church, and unfortunately this is denied in practice, if not in theory, by very many in the Church today. And anyone who professes such a belief that the Catholic Church is the only religion that has the right to exist, they're immediately labeled with the title of fundamentalist. I call it a fundamentalist. It's just a nasty word today. Now please understand, I'm just speaking about objective rights. I'm just speaking about what really exists in reality, what God has established. I'm not talking about the subjective dispositions of individual people. Objectively speaking, the Catholic religion is the only religion that has a right to exist. Objectively speaking, all human beings have a duty to seek out the true religion as far as they are able and enter the Catholic Church. Subjectively, there's many people out there who are very confused about religion and do not understand the rights of the Catholic Church. And in those cases, we have to be tolerant of their ignorance, yet without denying the rights of the Church. We do not force them to convert, because no one can be forced to convert. People can be forced in their bodies, but they can't be forced in their souls. No one can be forced in their heart to love something although they can be put in handcuffs and forced to you know be put in a cop car or something but, but bodies cannot be bodies can be forced but not minds and hearts that's why the church has never condoned forcing people to be catholic even though catholicism is the only religion that has a right to exist jihad is not a catholic thing it's it's a muslim thing so my dear faithful thanks be to God, we've come to the end of this, of this catechetical exposition. Um, you can breathe, breathe a sigh of relief, and hopefully you've understood something about the rights of the church. And on this birthday of Holy Mother Church, let us be clear about this. There is only one God who is the source of all rights in heaven and on earth. Whatever he creates is the ultimate source of rights in this world. He created human beings, he gave them the right to pursue the goal for which he created them. He came on earth, he created the Catholic Church and even wedded himself to that church and therefore he endowed his bride, the church, with very special rights, the right to instruct nations, the right to guide all souls to heaven and even the right to exist as a religion. And though we will often be in a position where we have to tolerate false religions, we must never hold that those religions have a right to exist. To do that would be to betray both our Lord and our Mother, the Church. So on this Pentecost Sunday of 2020, let us remember that the Catholic faith is the one true faith, that the Church alone can get us to heaven because she alone has those God-given rights. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.